Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome to a new season of the Outside Centre Film Podcast. This is episode 117. Now, obviously, the last time we spoke to you in official capacity was for Film of the Year 2019, very much our flagship episode of the best of world cinema. This episode, however, Lee, is not what we're about normally and not what we do on a fortnightly basis, is it? <laughs> Oscars prediction time. Uh-huh. Um, so for any new listeners, for the next hour or so, is basically our yearly quota of Hollywood films on this podcast, all in one episode. So maybe, therefore, this will be your only one episode with us, in which case, sit back and enjoy it. If you've been with us a while, you know what's coming. Grin and bear it, and we will get through it together. We don't even have to hold hands if you don't want to. Uh, but in fairness, as always, and you know, as much as we are about the world cinema, we, we, we are film fans first and foremost. So nothing escapes wrath uh, where it's justified. And you'll hear lots of that today. I'm absolutely no sh- uh, no doubt about it. Um, but you know, we love films, so there's plenty of films to be discussed on this episode, whatever passport they have, uh, including all of the documentaries, all of the animations, all the world cinema nominations as well. But of course. And, uh, you know, of course, we're going to get the big ones out of the way because we have to, as much as we don't really maybe like some of them. You'll find out now because we're going to start off with Best Picture. Um, Most podcasts build towards that category to talk about. We're going to get out of the way. (laughs) It's a far, far better thing for us to be doing. So uh, who is, what is nominated for Best Picture? Well, yet another um, Oscar ceremony where they have more than a few nominations for this particular ca- for this particular category. Never quite understood why they have to have nine, Lee. I mean, it used to be mm-hmm. five. Uh, I think then, then they went up to six and then nine. It seems they're pushing it a bit for me in terms of the actual quantity for this nomination, uh, for this category. Yeah, I mean, um, I was thinking that way as well. You know, I mean, last year for me it was like the absolute worst. Um, yeah, it wasn't great. It, it, was, it was fucking awful. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like they've bounced back really strongly this year and uh, I think there's probably five or six movies you could probably make a good case for. Uh, Interesting. So uh, let's find out what they are in case people don't know but I'm sure you all know by now. We have got on this list Ford v Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker of course, Little Women, Marriage Story, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and Parasite. So uh, you know for the listeners that are expecting us to go through each of these films in great depth, we're not. Because we don't want to, we don't want to waste more than an hour of your time, and we don't want to waste our time either. So, uh, Lee, I'm coming over to you first in this because you've seen okay. the vast, vast majority of them, and between the two of us, we've got them all covered. Um, so, mm-hmm. the question is, as always, when we do this episode of uh, Oscar predictions here on the Out of Center Film Podcast, what do you, what would you like to see win if you, if you've got something to actually get behind? Uh, but also, mm-hmm. how do you think the Academy will go? And that's the hardest one to call. It's a crapshoot, mm-hmm. especially when it's when it's a choice out of nine. I mean, I've famously been horrendous on this particular category. I think I was adamant that La La Land was going to win and it didn't. And nobody saw Green Book winning last year. So by all means, if you feel brave enough to make a prediction on the Academy's behalf as well, uh, where do you think they're going to go? So first of all, what do you like best out of this category? Um, right. Well, I, I, like I said, there's, there's four or five I really like. I mean, I really like Marriage Story. Um, but if I had to choose... I would pick Parasite. Like I said, there's things to be said about each one of them. Um, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it was a bit baggy. Uh, Irishman, again, it was it was a very lengthy film. Um, I really enjoyed spending time in that world with Scorsese and all those characters, but plot-wise, it was a little bit kind of light for the length of time it was. 
Uh, but I feel like Parasite was like the absolute kind of perfect movie. It's just like the, the way that that story developed and the characters and how they kind of in, interplayed and how it took the kind of turn in the, in the middle there. Um, yeah, I thought it was just amazing. And um, I feel like if the uh, Academy actually got behind a foreign language picture as best picture for a change, uh, I, I think that'd be a huge statement. I think it might enca- encourage more casual viewers to, you know, look beyond the mainstream and be a bit more adventurous in their choices. Um, so I think it'd be a worthy winner, but I think it'd also be a very, um, how can I say, it, I think it would push things forward a bit more. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, you haven't mentioned 1917 there. Um, I haven't seen it. <laughs> that's um, what, but, that's but, what I haven't seen. But there's, there's a reason for that, and that is I don't do Hollywood war films. Uh, albeit this is a British one, but you know what I mean by that. Um, not mm-hmm. since. Yeah, absolutely. Not... Yeah. I, I don't know. You know, I've seen so many war movies. It's become like a genre. Uh, I don't know what this movie will give me that I haven't already got from other movies. Well, I mean, not since I somehow decided to, uh, I made the decision to watch Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, and even worse, Dunkirk, mm-hmm. actually. Um, you know, which made Harry Styles <laughs> out to be a war hero. I mean, that, uh, yeah. I've never forgiven them for that, and I never will. So, uh, you know, I haven't seen it, won't be seeing it, but for me, I think he'll actually win the Oscar. Um, I think, and to be honest, I actually think it's between uh, 1917 and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, that's just mm-hmm. a hunch. Nothing more on that. Um, but, you know, what would I prefer to win, honestly? <sighs> out of this category, where my, my interest in it is the least out of all the categories, I really, really couldn't care less. But you've mentioned Parasite. I'll talk about Parasite a little bit more later on. But I hate to brag it to you, Lee. It will not mm. win Best Picture at the Oscars. Well, what, no. what I do like about it is that America seems to love it to death and everybody else has seemed to jump onto it as well. It won't win Best Film because this is, you know, it's a Hollywood uh, ceremony. It all, uh, Just like um, Roma didn't win Best Picture, didn't just like Amour didn't win Best Picture, um, they, mm-hmm. are, they, are, they, they are starting to make one of these many, many, many nominations for this category into a, a foreign film pick, which is fantastic. Obviously, I'm not for one minute slagging that choice off. Um, and Parasite is my favourite film on this list by far, and it's not even mm-hmm. close. But it's all when and good nominating it. But to, as you say, to make a difference, they would have to show some major cojones for their own industry and give it yep. to Parasite or give it to Roma or give it to Amor. And they didn't do it two times before, and I don't think they'll do it here. Um, but crazy things have happened, Lee. I mean, as I said, nobody saw Green Book winning last year. So could this be the year that they actually do give Best Picture to a foreign film? Well, if this is, if they're going to do it, this is the year to do it. Um, maybe. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, you mentioned The Irishman. Uh, you obviously got on with it quite well. Um, mm-hmm. For me, it's not a great film. Um, I mean, it's nearly three and a half hours long. Nothing actually happens for about the first two hours, though. <laughs> <laughs> like it, uh, it, it, it's yeah. basically pure nostalgia for me it's a bunch of famous actors mumbling to each other incessantly that have done exactly the same mumbling incessantly uh, in a film called uh, oh I think it might be called Goodfellas uh, so you know out of all the famous acting mumbling I mean you know we'll come on to the acting later on uh, you have to make a choice between which of the characters you maybe prefer in that film but um, you know in terms of the film itself um, for me, Lee, I actually really, really enjoyed the last half an hour of the movie. A, because I knew it was coming, and B, uh, it, just, just the irony of like all these old actors just basically dying. 
Um, <laughs> and, and, but but quite honestly, it was actually done really, really quite nicely. Like there's a real sophistication behind it. Everything mm-hmm. quieting down, and you just kind of saw everyone just you know wilting away in their own lives. And yeah, yes, sounds a bit macabre, but it was genuinely good. Like mm-hmm. for me, the, the last half an hour is the best part of the Irishman completely. Uh, Lee. Absolutely. I mean, when the credits rolled, I felt like actually really kind of moved. Not yeah. so much because of what happened in the movie, but because I've kind of grown up with, you know, I, you know, I saw Goodfellas when I was like 13, 14. Yeah. And that was, that was a big part of my kind of movie kind of like um, uh, education, if you will. Um, and then I went back and saw these guys in Dog Day Afternoon and The Godfather and so on. So I felt like I kind of like lived kind of like a, a movie life with these guys. Yeah. Um, and that, then I feel like at the end it was like that's it. We're not going to see these guys doing this again to this quality. Um, and it felt like the end of an era. And uh, yeah, I found it really moving in that respect. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I would dispute quality in the sense that um, I don't think it's a great film. Uh, I think there are some performances in there, but I don't think it's anything original. Um, oh no! And no. I, I, I always think that I'm this talking is... more about like. Sorry, I'm talking more about like what we're getting from like. You know, I never thought I'd see De Niro this good again or Pacino this good again. Let alone in the same movie, in the same scenes together. Yeah. Um, you know what I, mean? I, I, I'm a, I use these ceremonies for what they're worth. And I like to see originality awarded above all else, um, which is why um, I enjoyed Spotlight. Uh, for example, when it sure. won, because it, 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 it does a far, far better job at that subject. And one of the, one of the acting performances slash films we'll be moving on to very shortly uh, but mm. the way that 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 dealt that dealt with a Catholic uh, church abuse of uh, of underage was uh, far 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 more interesting than what we can talk about in a short while, oh. for example, and sure. uh, lots of lots of others like Moonlight. Same thing. Moonlight was a fantastically original film, um, whereas you know this again. It, it, yes, it's it, it's they agree with you basically. They've they've given it what they can, or at least they've put it forward for the categories that they can. Because they also agree that this is going to be the last time that you will see, you know, performances of this level from these people. Uh, and mm-hmm. I think even Scorsese knows that, hence why he's essentially killed them all off at the end, as you know, as a metaphorical <laughs> killing off, before the actual real killing off happens in real life, uh, just through natural causes, all being well. Uh, <laughs> so, um, okay, so, I mean, I mean it's, it is what it is. Uh, you, uh, how... Do you still remain adamant that Parasite will win this? Oh, no, I'm not adamant, but I'm hopeful. I'm definitely hopeful. I think 1917 will win it. Yeah, yeah. so we're in agreement on that. Um, I mean, that... Yeah. I, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that they've left the war films off the foreign language list like they normally fill the foreign language list with a bunch of war films, uh, at least two, um, often one. Um, the fact that we haven't got any this year on that list I think speaks volumes because they are leaning towards the actual main event uh, category being a war film victory. Um, mm-hmm. th- I mean, I think so. Uh, but again, again, oh, wait, that's who, who honestly knows? Who honestly knows? I think we can definitely roll out Ford v Ferrari because that's got absolutely no... Um, <laughs> it's had very little press. It's got no momentum whatsoever. Um, nope. And you normally hear one or two articles pop up saying, oh... There's whisperings and murmurings that Ford v Ferrari might win there's this. There's nothing, nothing. There's nothing all. there. There's nothing there for Little Women on that level. There's nothing there for Jojo Rabbit on the on that level. Nope. Even the Irishman's been a bit quiet. Um, yeah, it has been very subdued. Yeah. Um, maybe in another, in another year, I think it would be like way out in front. But um, 
this year because you have got much better choice. It's kind of down there. Yeah, and and also I would, I would suggest as well that um, because Netflix were heavily involved, I still don't think that the Academy are that willing willing to give credit to Netflix things yet. No, because it, it's attacking their own industry. So that might be why the Irishman ends up winning very little, just like it won very little at the Baftas, mm-hmm. uh, which took place recently. But that's not for now because we're not interested in the Baftas. We're talking about the Oscar predictions. So uh, I think we're in agreement on what we think will win. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we don't want it to win either of us, but uh, let's see what happens anyway. <laughs> uh, and, and hey, I will lose no sleep over this particular category, unlike some others that we'll be moving on to. But before we get to the other film categories, we've got some a bit, some acting to discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the most logical place to move on to would be lead actor. And yes. here we have Antonio Banderas from A mm-hmm. Glory. We've got Leo from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We've got Adam Driver in Marriage Story. Joaquin from Joker and Jonathan Price from The Two Popes. Yeah. Um, I'll lead the way on this. Uh, and I'm, I'm fairly sure I know what you're going to say because most people are saying it. It's finally time for Joaquin to win his Oscar. Oh, Jesus Christ. Sorry. <laughs> I just... please, yeah, go tell, on. please tell me you don't, don't disagree with that. I, I, I hated the performance. I really did. Um, I but, need but, to, uh, right, nice knowing you, but uh, that was me <laughs> on the podcast. Anyway, thankfully you're wrong and thankfully I'm right. But, um, the, 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 I mean, look, the problem with making predictions like this is how do they or how do they come to a decision about what's their criteria for any of these particular things? Mm. Uh, and for acting, what do they regard as acting? Um, what do they regard as directing, which we'll, we'll also move on to? Like for me, a true acting performance is always, almost exclusively, when they're surrounded by either average material or less than average material, but they are so good that they just stand out and kind of make everything rise to a high level. And okay, I'll, I'll, per- give you, I'll give you that, definitely, yeah. But that's how I judge it. Now, I don't know how the Academy do it. I have absolutely no idea. We will find out when they make their decision. But for me, the only person that fits this, fits my criteria of what I think the best lead actor should be, the only one in this list that does it is Joaquin Phoenix. Because the Joker, at best, at best, Joker is an okay movie. But Joaquin Phoenix elevates it. Now, if if he doesn't get it, I really, I'm looking at this list and I have no idea who else can legitimately win this Oscar. Because as I say, it's what, for me, acting performances are about, elevating substandard or standard material to a much higher level. level. I mean, the film itself, Joker, it starts off, again, very, very slowly. Um, and for me, it actually ends at least two or three scenes too late, which is when we come on mm-hmm. to other category, category, uh, categories to discuss, for example, directing, problematic for me. Um, but in terms, you know, for me, it's it's all about Joaquin. He, he's just superb in this. He's, super, he's been superb in everything he's done practically for the last two decades, uh, other than Inherent Vice, which was a truly, truly risible film. Um, but even that okay, I, I actually really love that movie. But okay, it was a risible um, uh, made by one of my, if not right. my actual favorite American director. So that was disappointing. But anyway, Phoenix is capable of just turning anything into a great performance. Thankfully, he's surrounded by mediocrity. Not mediocrity is a bit harsh. He's surrounded by average or weird performances. I'd say mediocrity. Yeah, I mean there are some. Str- I mean Antonio Banderas. We'll talk. I'll talk more more about Pain and Glory when it comes to the foreign language films, just a huge, huge no. And it, it, what, why, why would you even nominate him for this reason? Bizarre. Um, Leo, well, 
Yeah, well, I mean, how is Lee? I mean, once upon a time in Hollywood. Um, he's actually really great. Um, it's put it's put it all out there. Um, uh, did you see once well, once upon a time? Well, I mean, having said that, you could say that for all the people that all put it out there. I mean, not not well, actually, no. Or maybe four of them are putting it out there. Antonio Banderas is not putting it out there <laughs> because he has nothing to all. put out. Um, I mean, I also want to mention Jonathan Price actually. Uh, the two popes. Now, I have to make a confession on the subject of popes. I actually didn't hate two popes as much as I was expecting to. I actually found it a reasonably entertaining ride. Um, I mean, and that's despite it being a British movie, which I had no idea about. Um, it's it's a ridiculous movie, and, and I can see why the, the film itself hasn't been nominated for a lot because it's essentially like a bizarre mix of documentary, biography, some real life footage, ABBA music. Mm-hmm. English language, pizza, football, and Latin, um, and then and then like it's just a, a pope and a bishop having like a knees up at a piano, like it's just a bizarre, bizarre thing. Um, I'm not sure what the film was. Um, I didn't mind. No, I don't know. I didn't mind it as much as I thought I'd mind it. Um, but anyway, that isn't nominated for anything. Jonathan Price is, um, and it's an okay performance from it, Jonathan it Price. Was... It's fine, yeah. I mean, it's his first nomination, isn't it, I think, so... It's okay, but it's it's nothing, you know... He, it's nothing special, no. He, he looks more like the character than... I think that's what it's about, the fact that he gets, it, he gets physically into the look. Like, he's actually got a very similar face to uh, the Argentine po- mm-hmm. uh, current Pope that he's playing. Um, and, you know, but again, is it is this a world-class acting performance? Is it a mind-blowing? No. Does it subvert anything? No. Um, it, it, it's okay, just I just a, want to go back to... Uh, Joker, sorry, I just wanted to ask you because, you know, I mean, I, I was always also a fan of Phoenix for the longest time, you know. When, when I saw that he was cast as Joker, I, I thought straight away to The Master, yeah, uh, where he was phenomenal. And I thought, yeah, this is great casting. Um, I, I, I think it is great casting. Um, but I feel like he does his thing a little bit too hard for me in, in that movie. Uh, I just found it difficult to watch. I think well, that was just... I think it's a bit, a bit too much Phoenix for me. Um, I think the difficult to watch thing is actually the point. Um, now, obviously, you're entitled, you're entitled <laughs> yeah. not to enjoy it, but um, to criticise it for being too difficult, the Joker is a fucked up guy. <laughs> yeah, but so, I went back. I, I don't to, think uh... it's ever. I mean, you, you can't compare that performance of a Joker to any other performance of the Joker because this one is pure psychology, whereas a lot of the others were either joking around or, or you know just a bit more sinister in that sense, whereas this is just like a full-throttle joker. Um, but with the, the childlike behaviour, with the, with the cynicism, with the kind of creepy kind of, not paedophilia, but kind of just this horrible kind of dirty kind of feeling about the whole thing, it's like, it, it, it's an outstanding performance. And the only thing I can really say beyond that, um, it, you don't like it, so what do you actually want to win this award then? Uh, I'd like to see you go to Adam Driver. Not going to happen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Again, zero buzz whatsoever. Simply won't happen. Um, no, so, I, uh, I understand that, but he's phenomenal in that film. Yeah. Do you agree with me, though, that the Academy will almost certainly give it to Joaquin Phoenix on this occasion? Of course, yeah. Of course yeah. he's going to get it. So uh, that's that one sorted. No no major surprise there. Let's move on to supporting actor then. Um, mm-hmm. And you can go first on this. We've got Tom Hanks from A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. We've got okay. the other Pope. We've, 
the other Pope, Anthony Hopkins, who plays the actual Polish one. Uh, we've got uh-huh. two people. We've got two folk from the Irishman. Need need not say who they are. One's Al, the other one's Joe, and then we've got Brad, who won the BAFTA for his performance in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So um, this is for me. And I don't think it's even close. Uh, I think this is probably the most competitive category. We've got uh, okay. the entire list. Um, even though I've got a very clear favour that I will move on to shortly. Um, you'll go first. What do you want to happen and what do you think the Academy will do? Uh, this is quite straightforward for me. I, I think I'd like to see Brad Pitt get it and I think he will get it. I think there's always been the kind of like uh, buzz around that performance, which I think um, hasn't really kind of faded away. I, I felt like he was the real kind of like uh, the soul of that movie. It's a joy to watch whenever he's on the screen. There's, there's not a huge amount to it because he's, he's kind of better in, in that movie when he's like not talking uh, but it's just the way he carries himself and um, I, I, I don't know how to say it it's just um, I just got a great feeling about that performance when I saw the film and uh, I think that's kind of reflected in how it's always been kind of like this is his time to win that Oscar for this performance mm. um, uh, I think, I, I, I think I, they'll I, carry on I'm, I'm, this is really difficult for me to choose. What I will say is that Tom Hanks for, for this particular performance is actually my favourite acting performance over the last 25 fucking years, Lee. Um, oh, okay, I absolutely, yeah, maybe I, I, I actually, I haven't seen that. So. Oh, I absolutely adored um, him as Fred Rogers uh, with every essence of my being. Like, I really can't stress this enough to uh-huh. people. Uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, again, it's a problematic film. The film itself isn't that great. And again, I can see why it hasn't actually been nominated for film things. Um, for, uh, I'll give a very brief synopsis on this. Fred Rogers uh, was a kids' television presenter who famously was the nicest person on the planet. <laughs> like, he held this, he, he did this TV show for about uh, three decades where he basically talked um, directly to children about adult issues such as uh, death, divorce. Uh, bullying, acceptance, um, and as well as kind of giving kids confidence to kind of face all their fears on a daily basis. Um, and he was famously to try to find any sort of dirt on this guy um, because anyone that nice, you, you know, you, you just think there's something going on in the background and there never ever was. Mm-hmm. He was just such a nice guy. And he was an absolute icon in, a, in America for, for, a, for, as I say, three decades of kids' TV. Um, and he is just... Tom Hanks in this film. Um, I put up with all the mediocrity in uh, in the rest of the film, um, just waiting for the next Tom Hanks section to come on because he was just perfect, absolutely perfect for me. Um, mm-hmm. I highly recommend that you see this if you haven't. Um, see if you also come to some sort of agreement along those lines. But it is just a perfect performance. And when you when you actually watch videos of Fred Rogers on YouTube, he nails uh-huh. it. He nails the voice. He nails the look. And he just nails the atmosphere of him. Um, so, yeah, Tom Hanks, absolutely fantastic performance. I agree I can't see him winning. Um, I mean, I'd love, it, I'd love to see it happen because it is, you know, Fred Rogers is an icon. And American cinema loves its icons. Like any mm-hmm. sort of thing like that, they normally get behind. Um, but he's surrounded by big people in big films, unfortunately. Um, and I just feel that that little film, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, will actually kind of just float away into the distance I don't know whether Brad Pitt's going to win this um, I, because I don't think the Irishman's going to win a lot I think they'll give Irishman some of the smaller categories 
Yeah. Um, and I think out of the, I mean, I preferred Al Pacino's character out of the two. Um, for me, he kind of saves the movie from being a completely wretched film. <coughs> but when, when, you know, when the um, when he comes into it, the film actually starts to kick on a bit. Um, oh yeah, geez. the first hour, like forty-five minutes is touch and go for me. But as soon as Pacino comes in, it's like, yeah, let's go. And then um, it's it's the unions, isn't it? All the union stuff, which is really really interesting. And then then yeah, yeah. Graham comes in, and then everything just gets better. Whereas Joe Pesci, you know, again coming out of retirement, they will look at that performance as something special from him. I've got a feeling about it. Um, he hasn't acted for what fifteen years between roles. Um, mm-hmm. He comes in, he does his typical Joe Pesci in a gangster film thing, uh, and just well, no, he's doing the opposite, isn't he? He's going very quiet. He's, well, he's yeah, quiet it's, uh, it's, it's it's kind of, but he he did a lot of kind of you know sitting around and talking in previous roles, uh, subtle, <laughs> subtle subtle acting, you know subtle acting, I suppose you can call it. Um, and I think I will give it to Joe Pesci to be honest. Um, I think it'd also be a thank you for everything kind of Oscar, which they love to do more than anything. I'll be totally uh, happy with that. I, I mean, I'm I mean, happy I, with that. Yeah, to be I, honest. I, basically, I I won't be happy unless Tom Hanks wins. But in that sense. Um, yeah, I think I'll give it to Joe. I think, I think, as I say, this is a real, this is the toughest one to call for me. Uh, the only one we can definitely roll out is Anthony Hopkins because he's surrounded by people that do more uh, interesting things. So, uh, yeah, supporting actor. Hmm. I know what I want. You know what you want. Let's actually see what happens mm-hmm. on. So, lead actress. Yeah. We have got yes, Cynthia Erivo. We've got Scarlett Johansson, Saoirse Ronan, Charlize Theron, and Renee Zellweger. Um, uh, th- again, this, two of this, this for me is a very tough one to call again. Um, I'd like to hear your thoughts before I make a prediction for myself, actually. Scarlett Johansson's fantastic in Marriage Story. Uh, but I saw Little Women, a film that I wasn't really um, holding out much hope for. But, you know, Ronan's been fantastic since she came on the scene with uh, Atonement was like a breakthrough performance, wasn't it? Um, and she's been consistently excellent since then. Um, and she's She's amazing again in Little Women, so I think that edges it for me. Out of the two I've seen, I, I I'm happy to go with that, really. Uh, but hmm. see, I think Zoe is the favourite, isn't she? So could well be, um, and that I mean that would be interesting because obviously um, <laughs> Judy Garland didn't like it. Uh, <laughs> Or, or rather, sorry, um, Liza Minnelli didn't like it, um, seeing her mother portrayed in oh, that yeah. way. Um, okay. And she sort of does carry a little bit of something about her. I mean, again, what they do like to do, and this is this is why it's a struggle for a lot of these predictions, they they like most films to win at least one thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and Marriage Story, it's not going to win Best Film. It won't win Best Actor. Um, it's not up for a lot of other things. But maybe that should go in the supporting actress category, um, in which case you don't ever reward one film for both lead acting and lead supporting acting. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually talking myself out of saying that Scarlett Hansen's going to win this. Um, let's let's go with, let's go with uh, Renée Zellweger on this. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's what's going to happen. Yeah, I, I would like to not? see Rona win it. But yeah, why not? Um, yeah, let's go with that for me. Let's see what happens on that. Supporting act- acting, uh, Kathy Bates, we've got Laura Dern, we've got Scarlett Johansson, Florence mm-hmm. Pugh, and Margot Robbie. Uh, I think Laura Dern's mm-hmm. going to win this. Oh, uh, yeah, she's. A, I think she's the favourite for that, and she's, yeah. she, she's terrific in that film. 
I've heard, I've heard a lot uh, of scores. Um, so, yeah, I think that's... I, I'd say it's between her and Scarlett for Jojo Rabbit. I, 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 think, I think Laura would take it because I think Jojo Rabbit has to, has to win something at some point. <laughs> um, Jesus, okay. Well, I know it's concerning, but uh, it's been up for quite a few things. And as I say, the spread likes to happen. But uh, me, for me personally, yeah. it's, got, it's got to be Laura Dern. I think it really has to be. And uh, I think it'd be a nice story as well because she's, she's not been the most uh, prolific actress over the last few decades. She's not kind of... Kept... No, she had a good couple of years, though, hasn't she? So I think it's, it's crown, the kind of comeback kind of thing. Exactly. And, the, and they love a comeback more than anything. Yep. Uh, they like, they like, they like a farewell film and they like a comeback film. Um, so Laura Dern could be the one for that. Uh, hard to see any of the others truly topping her, really. I don't think so. No. No. I think that's probably the one I'd like as as well, actually. Yeah, to get behind. Yeah, maybe so. That's my preference. Uh, I I I normally like Johansson, but um, I really hated her performance in Jojo Rabbit. <laughs> yes. uh, it was like to me, it was like you know, I don't know if you did drama or High School Musical. Um, there's always like one kind of like really super confident kind of actor or actress who was like trying to steal the show with all their kind of oh, charisma and um, ham actor. <laughs> it was really, it was really hammy, and I hated it. And yeah. um, it, it does. So, that's that's a perfect description of it. Um, but I had so a lot of problems with that film anyway. So and, uh, yes, uh, indeed. So, but uh, Laura Dern, I think we can safely say nailed on for that one. Um, now this is where as we come to an end of our look at the actual main feature films, director now, and again, where do the Academy go and how do they judge directing <laughs> is the point. Now, for, again, for me personally, we're here, we've obviously got Scorsese, we've got Todd Phillips for Joker, we've got Sam Mendes, we've got Tarantino, and we've got Bon Joon-ho. Now, I think, I think, They'll give it to Sam Mendes uh, with regret. Yes, I, I would say. Too. I think they will. Um, would he deserve it? Well, again, how are we judging 1917 as a film? Are the best things about it because of Sam Mendes? Are the worst things about it because of Sam Mendes? Because with Joker, it's very clear to me that the worst things about Joker is Todd Phillips' directing performance and how I think he directs the film is the biggest problem for me. Or how he directs his own staff members, his editing crew, his his DOP. Lustre in so many elements of that particular film. And I think Todd has a big hand in that. Um, mm-hmm. And again, in terms of giving directors credit, I don't think Joaquin Phoenix would have given a worse performance with a different director. I think he would have given exactly the same performance. Because Joaquin Phoenix is that kind of actor where he just goes full throttle for his performances. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm reticent to give Todd Phillips credit for a lot of Joker. So for me, he wouldn't be deserving of the of the director Oscar. Um, no, I agree totally. Scorsese, for, for the half an hour that I've mentioned, yes, but for the entire film, I mean, and, and bear in mind that all they're all his pals, right? Sure. <laughs> Everyone in this film, all of his staff, he's worked with for the past God knows how many decades it's been now. So it's it's the familiarity thing. It's what we know from him. It's what we've seen before many times. He's not necessarily doing anything original here. Um, so if you were to give it to Martin Scorsese, what are you actually saying? What is your message by giving it to Martin Scorsese? I don't think there is one. It's so kind of I... thanks for the memories kind of thing. But I think he'll do more films after this. So, you know what I mean? I, I, I just can't see it. Um, 
Whereas I think what you do tend to have for this particular synergy that happens in the Oscars, when you give a film best film, you always almost uh, reflect that in the directing as well. Mm -hmm. So as we predict, if we think they're going to go 1917 for best film, I think they will say that was largely due to Sam Mendes. And of course, he's well liked in Hollywood with his Bond films and things. Yeah. So, and have Hollywood really, really, really kind of fallen in love with Tarantino? Really? Not since, <laughs> not for, for a while now. I mean, they've never really been on board with him. Um, maybe, uh, they'll say, maybe they'll say that for maybe his 10th film. Right. And that, yeah, his actual, it's what's supposed to be his last thing. Um, who knows? Now, the interesting one for me here, the best directing performance by far would, be, would actually be Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Oh, absolutely. 100%, because yeah. it, the, 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 the whole thing about that film, which again, I'll come on to when it comes to foreign language, the whole thing about that film, it's more the, it's more the whole thing. There's not one individual thing that works for me better than anything else. And I think it's the director's hand and the screenplay and the performances all under his hand. Um, it, just, it, it works as a film and I would hold him very, very largely responsible for that. Oh, it's totally all him, yeah. So... Um... What they need to do then is, if they are going to give best director to him, then they will they will surely have to give Parasite a film award with it. Mm-hmm. Um, that just makes sense because he directed the whole film. So, that being said, then you've got main film or you've got foreign language film, and it's very obvious out of those two, Lee, what they're gonna what they're gonna do. <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, it's clearly gonna I be know, foreign, it's, it's... it's gonna be foreign language film, but. If for some magical reason, some bizarre, logical, correct reasoning, they would give Parasite best movie, they will then give Bong Joon Ho best director. Mm-hmm. So and that would be amazing. But I still think it's going to be a 1917 synergy, personally. Yes, I agree. Um, unfortunately, but, uh, yes. And they need to. Pass I mean, don't, don't, it, it might be amazing. I might change my opinion when I see it, but I just don't think I'm going to. No, uh, I mean we, the thing is we don't need to see all of these films. <laughs> you know, we don't. Uh, we, we no one pays us to do it, and we don't have to see them. But uh, and 1917, of course, has been lauded as all these different things. I'm happy. To, I'm happy to listen to those opinions. You know, that's why we're predicting big things for 1917. Um, and I, I just refuse to watch war films from the Oscar category. I just don't. You know, I just don't do it anymore. It's just not worthy of my time. So, um, so then. Let's see where we go on that. I think it's going to be a synergy either way. Um, let's hope for a double parasite, but I think a double 1917 is going to happen. So yep. let's move on then to uh, the categories that I feel a lot more comfortable in. Moving on mm-hmm. to documentaries. And, ah, okay. uh, doc- documentaries, we've got American Factory. We've got The Cave. We've got The Edge of Democracy. We've got Four Summer. And we've got Honeyland. Now, uh, I, know okay. you've seen, I know you've seen Honeyland, Lee. Yes, yes. Or, or whether you want to talk about that now or whether you want to talk about it in the phone language thing is up to you. But for me... I think I'll save it. You'll save it for them. Uh, well, I'll, I'll, wait, I'll wait till I hear what you say first. Well, for me, Honeyland is the worst film on this list. It's the worst documentary oh, really? okay. and, it's the, and it's the worst foreign language film. So uh, I've actually got very, very little to say about Honeyland uh, mm. other than it's a North Macedonian documentary okay. about farming. <laughs> 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 uh, right, and, 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 you know, here's the thing you would think I would really want to support a film like this because it's world cinema it's what we're about and all the rest of it and it's surrounded by a lot of western documentaries and, and all the rest of it but 
I'll, I'll have to be. I'll have to take it how I see it. Honeyland is boring as hell to me. Okay. And I take no pride in saying that, but Honey, Honeyland was a boring documentary. You know, it's great that North Macedonia, as a newly independent country, um, can be represented at a, in a film segment like this. And also how these nominations get picked. A lot of it's to do with um, the, the, the people who, who kind of nominate things and, and make their final decision have to have had to seen these in American cinemas mm-hmm. or at festivals. So it's amazing that something from North Macedonia has made it over to the US enough so people have seen it and, and therefore can be nominated for something like this. Absolutely fantastic. But equally, I'm also questioning why this film is on this list or even on the foreign language film list. Is Honeyland honestly one of the best five world cinema or documentary films of the year? Really? Okay, well, I mean, actually, I have to say Honeyland is one of my most pleasant surprises of the whole year. One of the I, best I five? Just overall, out of everything I've seen in the last year, that is one that surprised me the most and one of the films that moved me the most. I absolutely loved it. I just can't get... I, I just don't understand why it's <laughs> No, because why? Because is it is it literally... Is it navel-gazing from an ivory tower of, oh, my God, look at those poor Macedonian people that live in really atrocious-looking villages. Uh, they don't have TV. You know, it might be news to American people that these farms exist in the world. Um, but it ain't news to me. Uh, and, it, and it, it, you know... It's just it's just a bizarre inclusion. I just cannot get and will not get behind it. I know. I I just really related to. Um, I guess I related to. Um, I, I really like the kind of dynamic between the mother and the daughter. You know, um, I see a lot of that in my kind of family. You know, um, between my sister, and my mom, and my mum and her mom, and so on, and so on. Uh, I really related to that. Um, I kind of fell in love with that character. She's not a character. She's a real person. Uh, from the get-go and I was like totally invested in her okay I'm a sucker for uh, movies which show people who are like good at their one thing you know and I'd have been happy sitting there watching two hours of her keeping bees Uh, and then (laughs) when these other when these other guys came in the other family uh, that that added another dynamic a bit of comedy Um, yeah I just I thought it was all uh, totally uh, captivating, and uh, yeah, I just loved it. I really I'm, loved I'm, it. I'm pleased you enjoyed it. Um, <laughs> the cave, the cave, and for summer, I'm going to put together because they are both documentaries about things happening in Syria. Um, uh-huh. And have to, and I have to say, there's actually no reason for anybody to watch both of them um, because they pretty much cover the same thing, but in a in a, in a different location. Um, for Summer is about the director herself who films five years worth of events in Syria mm-hmm. uh, in Aleppo which is under which is under bombardment from the Assad regime and Russian warplanes uh, she decides in her wisdom to give birth <laughs> or rather okay. to have a, or to make a family in this environment mm-hmm. um, I can see this being a people's favorite for Summer it won the BAFTA if I'm not mistaken for that reason um, and for me, it can be basically be summed up as however much you can tolerate Channel 4 news is how much you'll get <laughs> out of this documentary because it's left-leaning. Um, right, for right. non-UK listeners, and we have plenty, uh, Channel 4 are known for their hard-hitting journalism and for apparently being neutral, but in actual fact being pretty much left-wing. Uh, so if that's your point of view, then you'll definitely get something out of 4 Summer. If it isn't, then you probably won't. Um, I mean, I mean, I mean, the major problem with for me for this, uh, I mean, it's not the first documentary on Syria I've seen. It's not going to be the last. 
Um, it's the fact that, yes, no doubt, Assad were a ghastly regime for the Syrian people. There is no doubt about that. But you, you cannot neglect to mention the fact, like this documentary mentions only briefly, and the cave mentions very, very uh, briefly still, even less than that, is the fact that by getting rid of Assad, you let the, you let the extremists in. And the extremists would have an interest in not only hurting Syrian people, um, which included the public killing of women and children out in the streets, which is what they very often tell you Assad were responsible for. Well, guess what? The extremists did exactly the same thing. Um, but that not only do they want to hurt their own people, the extremists want to hurt the rest of us in the West as well. So I really find, right. I really find that Assad is the greatest evil of all to be problematic. But you know, that is the left-wing point of view that has the opposite point of view, and therefore I'm not going to get behind it. Uh, for Summer, again, you know, why mother of the year for, for having a, a child in that environment? <laughs> I, that, I, I just don't, I just couldn't get behind that. It was, a, don't get me wrong, it was a serviceable documentary. It's on for the UK viewers. If you haven't seen it already, you can catch it on all four catch-up uh, on there. Uh, you can also find it online as well. But, uh, you know, it's, she's not mother of the year for this. I salute her for surviving and for being brave and all the rest of it. But uh, foolhardy, to say the least. But um, that's for Summer. And very, very briefly, The Cave. It's pretty much the same thing as I say, except it's following uh, in an underground hospital. And instead of following around a journalist with a camera, it's basically following one or two doctors. Um, and replace the mother element of For Summer with basically a woman who is, is leading the hospital. She's in charge of the hospital. Uh, and the kind of the abuse that she gets for being female. So you've got a patriarchal kind of society element going on um, where she gets constantly challenged. Well, what do you know? You're a woman or is it appropriate for a woman to be in charge of a hospital? ETC. Um, you still get loads of handheld camera warfare footage and all the rest of it. You get loads of emotional manipulation with children fitting and dying and being blown up. You get that in both of them. Um, so as I say, The Cave and For Summer, take your pick, whichever one of those appeals to you the most. Um, I... Actually, I'm going to be quite brave and suggest that neither of those two things are going to win. Uh -huh. And that's because we've got two better documentaries than that on this list. One of them is The Edge of, Demo the Edge of Democracy, which is on Netflix. It's a good, solid documentary about corruption in uh, Brazilian politics. It's a little bit long. It's two hours, so it's pushing it. But if you're interested in politics whatsoever, uh, this is the one for you. It's a very definition of a classic type of documentary. You've got archive footage, you've got talking heads, and you've got a very, very high level of access. Uh, director Petra Costa really, really speaks to both sides of the divide of the democracy in Brazil. Um, mm -hmm. Now, my problem with this documentary, and there is a fairly substantial problem with this documentary, is that director Petra Costa Lee, has been a member of the Academy since 2018. Uh-huh. So... Whether that documentary deserves to be on this list for the merit reasons, or is it on the list because she's a member of the Academy? Uh, okay. So, that we, we will find out. Um, the other, but my absolute favourite documentary on this is American Factory. Um, again, it's on Netflix. Mm -hmm. uh, I really hope it wins. It's an excellent documentary about Fuau Glass America that has great access to the inner workings of that particular company. It, it was an American factory that got bought out by the Chinese. Um, and it's basically, it does what everything a documentary should do. It's completely open. It's completely honest. 
it explores both sides of an argument. It explores why, you know, the Americans would be unhappy about this happening to them. It explains why it would be good for the Chinese to do this to, to the American factory. But it also goes into, well, the, the things that the Americans find deplorable about working with Chinese people. It kind of explains them with the different working mentality that the Chinese people have. I mean, we've seen them build hospitals in eight days, so they are incredible workers. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a truly remarkable documentary. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and I sincerely hope that it wins the Oscar. Um, and it's, and it's, mm -hmm. it's an independent piece, which should always, always be, you know, it's not got the backing of anybody in particular. It's a thoroughly independent piece, and I really, really appreciated that. Um, so where are we going to go on this? Tough one. Um, I've been quite cynical so far, so I might as well keep it going. <laughs> I think the Edge of Democracy will win because Petra Costa's on the Academy. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, you know, sure. that, that's, I, I, and I'm so glad that I found that out because otherwise I'd be, I'd been really not unhappy if the Edge of Democracy would win because it is a good documentary, don't get me wrong. But um, it's just got, it's just got that little bit of a hidden element to it, really. That, uh, mm. Mm, They've got to pat themselves on the back sometimes, have they not? So, um, that's documentaries. Animations. Animations. Let's have a look. Where are we? So, we have got a, uh, oh. a quite an interesting mix, actually. Um, mainly because Frozen 2 isn't on here, Lee. Were you as surprised as I was that Frozen 2 isn't on this list? Uh, I'm happy with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean I'm surp it's surprising. <laughs> I mean, my kids, my, kid, my kids love it, but... Um... No, it's just but, too. But, it, but, but I, I'm very against Disney, so. Well, I mean, uh, I, I'm a, well. We'll come on to Pixar in a bit, but uh, and obviously Frozen isn't Pixar, but um, I mean, I'm just surprised because the whole, basically, the animated feature category is nearly always about big budgets, and it's about mm -hmm. patting sponsors on the back, and it's about supporting the industry. And um, we've got a little bit of that here, obviously, with a few of the nominations. Um, but I mean, we've got How to Train Your Dragon which is the only one I didn't see, because the last How to Train Your Dragon film I watched was ridiculously awful. So uh, I just decided to give it a miss straight off the bat. We've got I Lost My Body, mm -hmm. a welcome return to a French film being part of this list. We've got Klaus, we've got Missing Link, and we've got Toy Story 4. Uh, where do you see this one going? Uh, I've only seen I Lost My Body, uh, which I really, really liked. So that would be my pick. Um, I, I really like the animation style. I liked... Um... Well, you know, the, the walking hand thing is usually a kind of a horror kind of thing. Uh, but to see it done this way, um, and uh, the film kind of ended up in a, in a place I wasn't expecting, but and which I found very kind of like sad, but also quite uh, inspiring at the same time. Uh, I just thought it was just a really unusual feature. Um, and yeah, I, I really loved it. I uh, so if that wins over... Did you not? No. Um, the animation itself was a, was a, was standardised for me. Nothing particularly special about it. Um, I mean, it's basically a portmanteau film of a hand, as you mentioned. Uh, okay. It's a hand <clears throat> running through the streets on its way to find its own body, uh, as in, you know, I lost my body. But then the other half of the portmanteau is kind of like via the police, a pizza delivery boy, um, who's called Nowfell or something. Um, like that, yeah. he falls in love with a woman who he delivers pizza to and he falls in love with her over the intercom when he's delivering the pizza yeah I actually found that half of the film to be really enjoyable um, 
it's really endearing. Well, I say it's really endearing. It's quite endearing. It's uh, it's quite simple. <laughs> it's quite simple. It's romantic. It kind of works. It all. It kind of follows his own logic quite well. Um, but it's the other half that ruins the film. It's the hand stuff that ruins the film for me. Um, okay. it, it, it just doesn't really come together as a portmanteau that I was expecting it to. Right, um, right. And above all else, my biggest problem with the hand scene, Lee. Um, you may know where I'm going with this. Um, if not, then you really should be ashamed of yourself because it's an unforgettable scene. Uh, and that's when the hand crawls into the baby's bed. Oh, yeah, that's really creepy, yeah. I uh... mean, we, we, you just can't do that. <laughs> you, know, you can't have that in a movie. Um, and it doesn't even mean a lot. It doesn't really lean to anything. It's just, as you say, odd. Yeah, uh, that, that was a bit of a strange choice. Uh, but apart from that, I I, I like the way the the hand was kind of like um, embodied with like some kind of, you know, how you can see it kind of like tense up as it's like making a decision or something like that. I thought it was really well uh, thought out. Um, and there was some, I, I found there were some scenes there with the hand like trying to escape from something uh, that I thought were like really suspense, suspenseful as well. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that part was really well done. I wasn't so happy with the boy. Because of the stalking thing, I thought that was a bit odd. Uh, but the two things came... Well, the thing is, it didn't actually, now you mention it, come together that well. No. <clears throat> there's, literally, there's literally a very brief scene when um, the, the, the Noah Fell is in bed and the hand yeah. kind of rests next to him, but nothing actually happens after that. <laughs> it's like, oh, is that it then? Really? <laughs> just, just, yeah. Uh, again... I feel that I should be backing this film more because it's foreign language. It's French uh-huh. animation, who are, you know, obviously one of the masters of all time. It is good to see a French animation back. I mean, the last time... But it depends what you mean by French, really. I mean, um, we obviously had Life, My Life as a Courgette, which was a Swiss film. That was on the animated list a few years ago. Um, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a co-French production, at least. The actual pure French animation we've not had since The Triplets of Belleville, uh, which was back Jesus, in 20... years ago. 2013. So welcome Wait. back, French animation, to this list. Um, but don't have a hand crawl into a baby's crib next time, please, uh, if that's okay. <laughs> um, but again, nice to see them, and I hope we come back with some more stuff in the future. Um, my actual favourite on this list is Klaus. Um, it's actually on Netflix with people. Um, and it's just a really charming, nice animated film. It's actually my favourite kind of. American animation outside of Pixar since Zootopia um, mm-hmm. that I really, really got behind. And much like Zootopia, it's actually kind of an anti-Trump film because you've kind of got like an us and them mentality. Uh, right. when, the, when the postman kind of arrives into a town and everyone's fighting each other and he, he's kind of like converting everybody to just a nicer way of life. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it, it's definitely a film that looks at immigration how people accept immigrants that are different from them. It captures all that really, really nicely in a, in a slightly different um, animation style as well. Um, so I wish Klaus the best. Um, the film I, I wish the least success to is the one that I'm actually really concerned that might win this, Lee, and that's Missing Link. Um, oh, I saw a bit of that. My kid was watching it. And it I won the like... Golden Globe, uh, which is, and uh, talking about synergy, that often is a bit of synergy between Golden Globes and the Oscars. Um, definitely more yeah. so than the BAFTAs and the Oscars. So this one, Golden Globe for Best Animated Feature Film. 
um, making it the first non-computer animated film to win the category and the first non-CGI film to win a Golden Globe since Waltz with Bashir. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I have to be honest, though. God knows why, Lee, because for me, this was fucking awful. <laughs> yeah. the, the bit I saw of it I, it, I thought it was totally insufferable. I hated it. It is, and it doesn't get any better, believe me. The Missing Link is a truly, truly insipid animation. <laughs> like, what, what? I don't know how it can win Golden Globe, and it really, really concerns me. I mean, I, I'm a Pixar fan, but I wasn't massively happy with Toy Story 4 when it was announced. I wasn't necessarily over the moon having watched Toy Story 4, by all means. It's the weakest Toy Story they've ever done. It felt tacked on. It always was going to be tacked on. In fact, Toy Story 4 was so sure. tacked on, so tacked on to create this sort of re- this alleged romantic relationship between Bo Peep and Woody that they have to go to a previous film with a scene to show you how they fell in love with each other, despite the fact that going back <laughs> to that previous film doesn't have that actual scene in it. <laughs> oh really? Okay. So that's how tacked on Toy Story Four actually is in terms of the whole storyline of the Toy Story universe. I didn't hate it by all means; it was fine. And in fact, what Toy Story Four had a really nice kind of mental health thing going on with uh, mm-hmm. with with Forky. He was a, he was actually a really nice addition to the film because he's all about um, crisis of confidence and social anxiety and even depression. Um, there's yeah. quite a lot of him trying to kill himself. <laughs> Uh, but in a in a Pixar kind of way, so does uh, that was my favourite thing about the whole film was it was actually the inclusion of Forky. So it wasn't a disaster that I was expecting it to be, but it was nowhere near as good as the other Toy Story films. Um, mm-hmm. So where are we going to go on this? Well, I'd like Klaus to win. I think Toy Story Four has got half a chance, but I've just got this feeling about missing Linkley, and it concerns me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, I'll go with you on that, yeah. I surely hope not. I really, really do. I mean, they're going to reward the fact that it's non-CGI and non-computerised and all the rest of it, but if you can't tell a decent story, then who gives a fuck how it's made, basically? And The Missing Link is not a good story. It's by far and away the weakest story on this entire list. So, mm, Missing Link, missing many things, but it might not be missing the trophy, sadly. So, we move on then to the final... Final thing we're going to be talking about, which is best international feature film. Um, unfortunately, Lee, we have to be uh, honest to our listeners, and that uh, some of these films we're not able to watch yet. And it's a pity, though, because uh, that they happen to be some of the most interesting sounding ones. Uh, mm-hmm. Corpus Christi from Poland, uh, Les Miserables, yet another Les Miserables film from France. Honeyland, uh, we've discussed already. Pain and Glory and Parasite. <laughs> Pain and Glory and Parasite are the other two. Uh, and I think we should discuss those before we end this. Okay. Um, well, I've made myself quite clear. I think Parasite's going to win this particular category because I don't think it'll win main film. Uh, and does it deserve to win this this category? I'd say so. Bearing in mind that yes. we haven't seen Corpus Christi yes. yet and we haven't seen Les Miserables yet. Um, both of those would have to do some to beat Parasite. Um, what, I, what I want to say about Parasite is, yes, it's a quality product, um, but I don't quite see it as legendary as everybody else sees it as. Um, I mean, I even saw somebody on Facebook say it was the greatest foreign film he's ever seen. Um, well, if you, if I won't go that far, but... If, if you watch less than a dozen world cinema films in your life, then there's a chance that it could be your favourite ever world cinema film. But if you've been watching them for as long as we have, if you've been listening to us, then no, how can it be the best foreign film of all time, Lee? It's yeah, I mean, 
No, I think um, you know if you look at his kind of like his his films, um, it's right up there. Um, I mean, I prefer his earlier one. I like I really love Mother and is it Memory of Murder or Memoirs of Murder? I enjoyed The Host. I did enjoy that too, but those other two because they're more based in kind of reality um, really did it for me more. Um, I mean, I enjoy all his films. Uh, I mean, Okia was my least favorite. Uh, so I thought this was him going back to his kind of like uh, his, his really, really kind of stronger earlier stuff. Uh, so you know, in his kind of his his body of work, yeah, it's right up there. But yeah. yeah, to say it's like the best foreign language movie ever—that's that's crazy. I'm happy for people to be so happy about it though, because that means oh sure, actually, yeah, they might actually watch some other foreign films, which would be great, of course. Yes. Um, but I don't know about you, Lee, but um, when I was watching this, and yep, yeah, again, nicely framed and nicely shot and well acted by everybody, and there's a few moments here and there, um, I, I thought back to this time in 2019 when another South Korean film was doing the, doing the rounds of people's kind of uh, radar. Um, I mean, I, I'd like to kind of quiz you on what film I'm referring to, if you can kind of remember back to last year around this time. It got absolutely nowhere near the level of heat that, um, that, that Parasite has. Last year? Uh... Literally around December, January, a lot, it, it became a meme instant classic film. <laughs> Jeez, no, no, sorry, you got me. Burning. Burning. Oh, shit, yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. That's now, fine, yeah. I have to be honest, I preferred Burning to Parasite, Lee. Um, and the reason is, is because Burning had a lot more nuance to it. It was yes. had a bit more interpretation, and actually it had a bit more silence. Um, and I, uh-huh. found it, I found it a bit more actually creepy. Now, a lot of people have called Parasite creepy, and it is, but I actually think that Burning did that even better. Because he just had this unwavering tension going on about in burning, about you know mm-hmm. whether the, whether the in, whether the girl in in burning was actually killed or not, or whether she simply just disappeared naturally, um, and that kind of thing really stuck with me. Um, and actually, even though yes. I love burning so much, it actually didn't make my film of the year list for the podcast, and I don't think Parasite therefore will either, which probably be quite okay. surprising to some people, I think. Um, but and but I'll tell you what. Burning definitely has got in common with um, Parasite Lee, and that's a needless stabbing that ruins the film. You may, of course, disagree. <laughs> I'm trying to think of the stabbing in Burning. Well, there's but, a bit uh... of there's a bit of violence at the end of this film, but um, for me, Lee, it makes zero sense why Mr. Park would kill Mr. Kim. Zero. Yeah, yeah, it did get a bit crazy in there, and it did lose me a little bit because of that. Um... But I mean, it felt, it felt I mean, like it, it was kind of thrown in there, just kind of, yeah. I mean, don't get me like the, the guy that was cooped up in the basement and all the rest of it. He he obviously became aggressive and and all the rest of it. Um, but Mister Park killing Mister Kim, like, didn't make any sense because they were they got on great. He they even had a pep talk a few minutes later when they were bent bent down behind a bush putting the costumes on, flip, and kill him. Oh, but, but then in that same same scene when they're like preparing to enter the party then there's also a bit where like you're being paid for this you know you're just like an employee kind of thing but but he i don't think he, he ever kind of went mentally above that anyway i think that, i mean the whole point of the film is that they get paid to be employees in this family um and i think he was content with all of that um, i see what you mean so he never expected more from the rich I, guy i, I don't think there was expectation at any point higher than what yeah, he okay. actually got so 
again, the killing of Mr. Kim sat a bit badly with me, just like the stabbing at the end of Burning ruined it for me. Um, so that's an interesting parallel, I think, between the two films. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, again, I've, it, it sounds like I'm being a little, well, rightly so, being a bit negative on that particular thing with Parasite, but everything else is fine. Um, I, I just don't see where the jealousy, the envy, or the expectation of something higher actually was regarding that, regarding those scenes. I really, I, I just didn't see it. But um, no, some people, point, yeah, does obviously bother a lot of people because a lot of people just love it regardless. Um, it's shoehorn for this. There's, there's not even, it's not even close. Um, how did you get on with Pain and Glory? Um, I, I have, I've seen a few of Amaldivar's films. Yeah. Um, I always. They always go down quite easily with me. Um, They're always nicely shot. They're well written. Banderas, I mean, I've seen him in... I don't know if I've seen him in like a serious role before. I kind of know if like Desperado or that kind of stuff. Um, So it's nice to see him in like a serious role. But to me, it was like so underplayed to be almost non-existent. Yep. Uh, (laughs) So I sat through it quite happily. And at the end, I thought... Okay, that was that was that then. Yep, I mean this is this is good old Moldovar. He's consistently inconsistent. Like throughout right. his career, throughout his career, as soon as as one thing, as as soon as he puts one good film out, you can guarantee his next film won't be as good as his previous film. He's just consistently <laughs> done that throughout the the decades. Um, how did you get on with Julietta? Uh, I didn't see it. Those last one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, well, Juliet, Julietta was um, rightly one of the films of the year for this podcast, actually. Oh, um, right, right. And we, we were quite, we were quite surprised it didn't make this category uh, when it came out a couple of years ago. Um, this, however, is the opposite. Like I'm just <laughs> like is it is it is it is it a like a an apology that it, that that Julietta didn't make it a few years ago? Like oh, we better put his next one on instead because this is truly a risible, godforsaken piece of shit. This film. Like it's just Antonio Banderas moping around for two hours, taking drugs, literally, yeah, pretending to choke, taking heroin, feeling sorry for himself. You know, like he plays a director whose movie from thirty years ago is being re-released and it's bringing back bad memories of, for him. I mean, really? <laughs> yeah, well, it's well, like you've never given any kind of indication of why he's supposed to be this kind of like notable director. I mean. Is there anything, I mean, you get a bit of his writing, which seems like kind of sentimental kind of oh, bullshit. It's a, very, it's a very sentimental, very sentimental film. Um, and, and you've got those awful scenes with Penelope Cruz as well, which could be anything she's ever done, to be fair. Um, but, you know, Penelope Cruz in a cave is quite an interesting thing for me. Probably the best mm. place for her. Um, it, you know, it's uh, in, the, in that sense, I, I can actually understand why Antonio Banderas' character would actually take drugs in this film. Because just to be married to Penelope Cruz with all of the, you know, with all the best will in the world, so little enthusiasm and so little acting talent to come out of her yet again. It's just truly dreadful. Um, and, and just those scenes in the cave itself, you know, just we're in a cave in Spain and just like, oh, please, what is this? Like, this is just a, a, a really awful <laughs> film from, from a Maldivar. Like, what was he thinking? Anyway, we, we needn't worry. Because Parasite has got this in the absolute bag. There is no debate about it. Um, and congratulations to it in advance, Parasite will win. So, uh, yes. So, well, good. So, no chance for Honeyland then? No chance for Honeyland. Uh, no, chance, <laughs> no chance for a Scorsese film in this category. No chance for a Sam Mendes <laughs> film in this category. It is Parasite. 
to win. Uh, and that will be, well, we will see, actually. We will see, because we're right. going to have to cover Corpus Christi and Les Miserables on the podcast itself, won't we? We'll have to, because we haven't talked about them here. Yes. So it'd only be fair and just to do that. So we will do that. And who knows, maybe Corpus Christi is a masterpiece that just slipped on by, which uh, you know is often the case for this category. There are often better films that don't make this list that have been nominated for this list. So to find out whether any of those films are going to be like that, you're going to have to tune in to myself and Ben, who will be with you in a few weeks. But uh, that's it. We've given you all of our predictions. Best of luck to us all. I think we'll be absolutely fine with most of these, to be brutally honest with you. So uh, on that note, we shall leave it. And uh, as I say, thank you a lot. thanks a lot for joining us. And myself and Ben will be with you in a few weeks. 